Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. Keeley's giving me this look like I'm fired up. I'm fired up for some talking about USC Trojan football. Uh, it's our first Dan Weber, Keeley, your show of the new year. If you heard, we did a uh, Harvey Hyde show uh, yesterday, I believe it was. But yeah, we're coming back from the break got a lot of stuff we want to talk about here if you have any questions or comments podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address or you could call or text us at 424-254-9141 is the number just to let people know since our first show of the year with this crew yeah get on itunes give us some positive feedback leave us a five-star review that's always awesome we should be available on any of those podcasting platforms out there if you you find one, you don't see the Parasail podcast on it, let us know. We'll make sure we're added there. But we're all over the place, and we do appreciate you listening to the show year after year after year. It's grown and grown, and uh, it's awesome to hear from all of our listeners out there. So thank you so much for being part of our little show. And like I mentioned today, we got Dan Weber on the line, and we got Keely Yor in studio ready to talk some Pac-12 football. How you guys doing? Uh I'm consulting my PR firm before I can tell you how I'm doing. I, I kind of like to follow that Pac-12 model. So uh, my PR firm will be getting back to you here uh, in due time. <laughs> well, how about you, Keely? I can't really follow that up. I'm, I'm doing well. Happy New Year to y'all. Happy New Year. Uh, yeah, Happy New Year to everybody. And uh, we got so we got a lot of topics today. We want to talk a little bit about Cliff Kingsbury stuff, Bubba Bolden stuff. Um, we're going to start off, I think with some PAC 12 stuff, and then we got a bunch of questions, uh, to get to. So uh, if you haven't listened to my, uh, podcast of champions, you should definitely go check that out. PAC 12 podcast.com. We put it up on uscfootball.com, but David Woods and I, you know, David covers UCLA. We talk a lot of PAC 12 and that was like one of the big topics today. So, uh, John Canzano has been doing some really good work for up, up there in the Oregonian, and of course, John Wilner uh, at, up at the San Jose Mercury News and that news group. Uh, but the what Dan had kind of alluded to is the Pac-12 and Larry Scott uh, hiring a PR crisis firm to try to change the narrative and the in the view, you know, basically the perspective of what's going on in the Pac-12. Not that they would want to make the Pac-12 better; they would rather just change what the perception is. So that's that's the direction they're going. And then also a little bit earlier about. Uh, selling a 10% share in the conference, which they've been really just you know, relying on 100% ownership, but trying to sell for half a billion dollars, 10% share in the Pac-12. This is some really strange uh, ideas uh, at this point, but it's the, in the Pac-12, you know, this is looking at the Pac-12 right now that went three and four in bowl games. The three wins were by a combined four points for the Pac-12 Washington State, I mean, you could argue you, the, the Pac-12 should have, I mean, I, I don't think Pac, the, Utah should have lost. They were up 20 to three. Uh, Washington definitely should have lost. But the other three wins that the Pac-12 had, you could argue they could should have lost all of those games too. I mean, they were, it was just, it was just a, not a good bowl season, not as bad as last year. 
And but the Pac-12 basketball, as bad as it was last year, is much worse this year. So maybe that's why this PR crisis firm they're trying to fix it somehow, Dan. Instead of fixing the product on the field and the court, they're trying to fix what we think about the products that we see with our own eyes is pretty terrible. Yeah, I mean, apparently they hired this firm during the uh, instant replay uh, review uh, situation where, you know, they had uh, the uh, an outside guy who's not a, you know, the, their number two guy, Woody, gosh, I can't even think of his last name now at this point, uh, got involved in that uh, call in the USC-Washington State game. And uh, obviously the repay people underneath him and the people who were in the room were upset and they started, you know, putting out the, uh, the word that this, you know, shouldn't have happened. Uh, and the PAC 12 was in trouble and they knew it. So they went out and hired Fleischman Hilliard in a, a really big time national PR and, you know, crisis management firm. But I think it was originally to basically cover Larry Scott and, you know, and the inner workings of the Pac-12. But now it's come up with a 34-page, uh, uh, you know, plan of how to partner up with uh, friendly media people like the uh, LA Times and the Players Tribune and uh, trying to get good stories from, from those people. As opposed to two years ago, and this is the exact reason why the SEC is the SEC and the Pac-12 is the Pac-12. The SEC put just three teams into the basketball tournament. And, that, you know, obviously the Pac-12, or the SEC doesn't care as much about basketball as they do football. But that got a man. They were upset. And they said, we're not performing, uh, you know, well here. They went out and hired a guy to be the daily, you know, manager of college basketball for the Pac-12 or for the SEC who works with the coaches, works with the schools, works with the officials every day. And then they went out and hired Mike Trangizi, who had put the Big East on the map as commissioner and had great connections with the, uh, with the uh, NCAA. And they really worked at it. And just, you know, last year the SEC had, you know, did a much, much better job, a very impressive job by the SEC. And they went at it the way you should go at it. They worked harder at it. They competed better at it. They, you know, told schools when they had an opening, here's, you know, we want this kind of a coach. We want, you know, and they, you know, they said, we got more money. We're giving you more money. We want, we want some results. And uh, they've done a great job in the SEC. You can't knock them for, you know, what they've done in basketball. Then you see what the Pac-12 is doing and you think that's not the way. Uh, you know, to get better. And that's not the way to compete harder. You got to compete and you can't just, you know, throw smoke out, you know, blow smoke out there and say, Hey, we, you know, what about this story? Or what about that story? Or, you know, try to partner up with, uh, with media outfits that are positive. I mean, they're lucky John Conzano did what he's done. I mean, I think the guy ought to get a Pulitzer for, for what he's done in terms of investigating the Pac-12 and how he's going to, you know, change, uh, you know, their behavior. Unfortunately, I'm not sure they, you know, they'll learn the right lesson uh, from all the investigations that he's done. But uh, uh, it's not a good sign when they're when they're out there hiring uh, crisis PR firms. Yeah, no, certainly not. Um, John, yeah, John does a great job up there, and uh, we've had him on our 
podcast of champions. It was great to listen to him and uh, what he had to say uh, going on. But it's, it is a conference in crisis. Um, I thought to me, the Rose Bowl was really important because that's the one, you know, that was the big matchup. The Pac-12 was favored in five of the seven bowl games and only won three of them. And, uh, you know, like I said, three of those, those, those three wins were by a combined four points, which is absolutely insane. But you look at the, I, I actually went to the Rose Bowl. I did the, I've never done the parade. So I did that. And then, and shout out to Trader Joe's, uh, and art. Well, art, 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 one of our listeners, art, uh, thanks art. We, uh, end up trading tickets, uh, Rose Bowl tickets. He gave me Rose Bowl tickets. He was a, a poster on the peristyle and him. So my mom was in town. He gave me tickets and, uh, we sat with him and his buddy Jeff. And that was a, it was a great time. And I got him a couple of tickets to, uh, the parade, which Trader Joe's gave us a bunch of tickets at the parade. So thanks for, to them for that. And I've never done that before. I don't know if you've done that, Keely, growing I up here. I have not. Yeah, it was definitely, like, you get up early, like, you know, we're up at like 4.30 in the morning, but you had awesome seats. We were right in front of where the, the float broke down later in the, in the parade. Um, but it was, it was a really cool experience. My mom loved it. I had some friends in from out of town, like out of the country from Germany. They loved it. And, uh, but we, we had a good time and, and the bowl game was fun. Just, it looked to me like Ohio state playing USC last year without the, the late comeback, like Washington had that late comeback in the game. Just Ohio state sort of like puts a stranglehold on you and they're just, they had better players and they just were, they weren't going to try to take any risks and push the envelope. Washington had more yards and everything, but Ohio state was in complete control of that game. And, uh, I don't know, but the, I thought to me, Dan, the Pac-12 needed to win that one or at least have a good showing. And yeah, it was a five-point game, but it wasn't a good showing. Ohio State dominated that game. Yeah, you would. It didn't look like there was anybody on Washington's team that would have started for Ohio State. Uh, maybe Gaskin, I don't know, but they just they, they looked like they were playing at two different levels. And then Ohio State did what they did against USC and just said, "Hey, we don't have to do anymore." They can't possibly catch us, and you got to give you know Washington credit. You know they hung in there, but uh, the the difference between the two programs was pretty obvious, just the way it was last year with USC and Ohio State. Uh, but uh, although I got a note from the Pac-12 PR firm that uh, that float didn't break down, it was just going really really slow, so that people could get a good look at it. That's what they tell me. No uh, no breakdowns uh, from the Pac-12 point of view. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I will say this: the the TV people, you can tell they do not want to say much bad about the Rose Parade because they really tried hard to look the other way uh, when that float broke down. They just didn't want to go there. So maybe that's a kind of the way uh, you know, the Pac-12 is going to have people covering the games. It was, is, uh, it was neat. I mean, there was there's definitely cool that the guys in the white. Um, the white jackets they're walking around and help you. Yeah. There's like businessmen and from Pasadena that all, you know, coach Harvey Hyde's involved in all that stuff. We met one guy, uh, his name was Tom Brady actually. And <laughs> he, uh, my friend Melanie who lived with me for you know years ago, she's from Germany and she brought her family her husband and three kids. And the guy's like asking us where we're from. And she said Germany. And he's like, Oh, my wife's from, and na- I can't remember the name of the town, some small town in Germany. And so it turns out that Melanie was born in this town that his, this guy, you know, this guy, Tom's wife was from, and he was like the nicest guy. He's like, hold on here. And it's, you know, it's like six 30 in the morning at this point or something. And he runs off and brings back some coffees and a dozen uh, Krispy Kreme donuts for us and just gives it to us out there. 
And uh, so cool. I mean, it was really like it's first class. It's you know, this is the 130th year of them doing it. And it you could see how important it is to the season. I took a picture of like every float as they went by. So uh, I, I don't know if I would do it a bunch of times, but it was definitely a fun experience. But thanks to and we were sitting in the Trader Joe's section. So when the Trader Joe's float came by, we were all cheering. It was a really cool float, too. So that was. Uh, yeah, I liked it. It was really, really neat. It was neat. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how people do it if they do it every year uh, to get up that early and, and sit through it that long. But uh, I mean, I know when my um, uh, my nephews came in from Australia, we went to where they put the floats together, and you know when they roll them out uh, a couple of days beforehand and all that. And I enjoy, that was my way of doing it, uh, getting up that early and, and being that cold. Uh, probably not the way you know I'm going to go, but. But seeing those floats, they're unbelievable. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. The the little kids from Germany had no idea what the parade was, but they all got into it. So it was fun. So I definitely recommend it. And uh, thanks again to uh, Trader Joe's for doing that. Um, We had a question about – so there was one Pac-12 game that we haven't really got to talk about. The Cheez-It Bowl was – that was something. Now you could say it was like the greatest bowl ever or the worst bowl ever. Uh, probably the worst bowl ever was the the seven uh, six uh, Oregon win over Michigan State. That was one of the worst ones you're ever going to see. But I got this question for you, Dan, and then we'll talk about it. Here you go. Hi guys, this question is for Dan. Seriously, how did USC lose to this Cal team? That must be one of the worst bowl games, maybe even the worst football games I've ever seen. I'm just going to leave it at that because there's really nothing more to say. Fight on, Jason Longhorn country. Yeah, Jason, I mean, that's the one you look at and you just say, uh, how is this, how are the people responsible for the loss to Cal still, you know, still in charge? I mean, and I know Clay has apologized for the three close losses that, you know, cost of uh, having a good season pretty much is, is kind of the thinking. And when you, you look at that Cal team and think any USC team in history lost to that Cal team, um, it's one of those you know um, markers that you can't get away from. I mean, you cannot in any way uh, walk away from, from uh, what was it, 15-14 loss uh, and one of the worst coach games that anybody's ever seen. I mean, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the game that, that, that makes this year worse than five and seven is losing that game to Cal. I mean, that, uh, you know, uh, TCU, I don't think they even hit a quarterback, right? I mean, they were, they were playing without a quarterback, couldn't throw the ball and they still win against, uh, you know, with a nine interception game. I mean, that's just, <laughs> There were nine interceptions it, it, in that game. It's impossible to explain how USC lost to Cal at home. It's impossible. You can't explain it. Uh, you just can't. There's nothing. There's no way to explain it. Yeah, it was. Uh, but I, I think it was going back, like looking at some of the crappy games, like Stanford beating Pitt by a point and. Oregon beating Washington, I mean, Michigan State by a point. Like, those were just 
not fun games to watch. Like that, the Cheez-It Bowl was like trending on Twitter. Like everybody oh. was watching. It was like another interception and another. Inter- it was like, it was pretty freaking awesome. Like I think, it, I think looking back, that's, it's a good train wreck kind of game where it just, it, there's just some terrible games. Like that wasn't actually, was pretty good. Oh no, that was a great game for college football in a lot of ways. I mean, it was the number one. Uh, it was number one on Twitter. I mean, it was the number one t- uh, trending, uh, you know, item on Twitter. I mean, you know, we're talking about all the things that happened in the world. That game was, you know, got the number one. So uh, yeah, it was. You couldn't take your eyes. It was one of those, you know, train wrecks that you can't take. You know, t- can't take your eyes off of it because you just, you knew the next time somebody tries to throw the ball, you know, down the field that their team wasn't going to catch it. And, uh, it was, uh, it was wonderful stuff actually. Yeah. Um, very cool. Well, okay. So that's the kind of pack 12 pack 12 ish stuff. There's some USC ish stuff that we need to discuss. Maybe we'll start with, I was just thinking if oh. you're the pack 12 right now, putting oh. together a bowl highlights real, <laughs> how do you do that? What, how do you, wouldn't that be one of the greatest creative challenges ever to put together a Pac-12 bowl highlight reel for this year, man. You could show Stanford's uh, Fleischman Hillard handle that. Yeah. Stanford's you could, they're, they're only third down conversion. You could play, play that play because they only converted one third down. Uh, I think, I think Oregon converted on two third downs. So they did double, you know, double the production that, that Stanford had. They, they there's made a lot the extra of extra point, but they made their extra point. <laughs> they did make the extra point. They had the one of the worst. Yeah, they they had part of the worst uh, field goal, fake field goals you'll ever see. That just blew up and was awful. Uh, those yeah, those games were pretty bad. But the Cheez It Bowl. Now that was that was some quality. When it's when you're in overtime and it's seven to ten, like that show. There was some offense in that game, man. That's <laughs> overtime seven to ten. There were a lot of let's say this. There were a lot of Pac-12 bowl teams very thankful for early signing period this year. <laughs> yeah, get them signed before we had to play that bowl game, man. Crazy. Um, well, let's talk about. So there's some you know reports out there. USC, if you don't know, hired Cliff Kingsbury, who was uh, yeah. Did you know that, Keely? He was fired by Texas Tech, his alma mater, uh, after. Five seasons, I think his winning percentage was somewhere in the 35% range. Like, not great. He was 5-7 and seven this past year. Uh, you know, not. I don't think Texas Tech was looking to fire him. They didn't want to. They'd love for him to be successful, but they just needed to win more games. So they move on, and USC is the beneficiary, and they get um, Cliff Kingsbury. But, and there was that delay when he was first hired because there was NFL interest. Well, now the reports are there's still NFL interest to be not just an NFL offensive coordinator, but a head coach. So fired from Texas Tech and maybe a general manager or owner in the NFL would like to bring him in, the the New York Jets or the uh, Arizona Cardinals, but apparently would both be interested. There's eight NFL head coaching jobs open right now, which is a lot. Uh, But I don't know, Dan, what do you you think? I mean, you wouldn't begrudge a guy if he gets a chance to be an NFL head coach. You're like, yeah, go ahead, like go do it. Uh, I don't yeah, know if it'll I mean, happen, but yeah. we'll see. I mean, I think his agent's doing a great job uh, keeping his, you know, his name alive out there. Um, I think uh, if you're the NFL right now, and it is a copycat league, and uh, you've got a young quarterback, who do you want holding their hand? Uh, you know, I mean, one of these guys that's been an assistant for 20 years, and uh, this is how we do it in the NFL. 
or you read some of these guys that haven't covered anything but the NFL, and wow, you can't go with a guy like that. What's he know about the NFL? Or, you know, you look at, you know, McVeigh and you say, huh, maybe having a young guy with some fresh ideas. Uh, the players, you know, I think Pete Carroll changed the, the, the dynamic in the NFL where you can uh, come in even with the, you know, 10 or 12 year veterans and still do some college type things and some rah-rah type things and, and, and have some fun about it and, uh, you know, compete in a way you might more compete in college and get away with it. And so I think right now, uh, you know, with, with Sean McVay has made it absolutely fine for people to talk to, you know, guys like Cliff Kingsbury and, um, you know, you better be able to throw the ball in the NFL and you can go out and hire, a, you know, a, a defensive coordinator. But if you look at, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, and I know people say, well, what was his record? And I think it was 35 and 40 overall and five and seven this year. But, you know, his, his, he had a Texas Tech team that had three different quarterbacks, none of whose names anybody knows, and not a single skilled player that would start at USC. And they put up 34 points on Texas. Now, that's 13 more than Georgia did. That's, you know, 21 more than USC did. And he was doing it with guys who couldn't start for either one of those teams. So, I mean, the guy's pretty, you know, certifiable in terms of knowing what he's doing. And he doesn't have to ask anybody, not copying anybody. USC's had enough of the copycat coaches. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he just didn't have access to enough players at Texas Tech, uh, you know, after Texas and Texas A&M and Baylor and TCU, you know, take the, you know, the top guys. There aren't a lot of guys left for Texas Tech, but uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, the NFL teams, they basically, I think they want to talk to him. They want to pick his brain. I mean, Sean McVay wanted to pick his brain here at the Rams. I mean, I think everybody in the NFL would want to talk to, uh, you know, the Cliff as far as his insights into, you know, throwing the football. I think it's interesting. I heard Rod Gilmore the other night on a bowl game had one of the most interesting insights that I've ever heard. Because people talk about the NFL is where it's at, and that's where all this stuff happens and what have you. And as he pointed out, the way offenses are going right now basically started in high school. The high schools were where – they really started implementing the air raid type attacks and the, uh, you know, the no huddles and all that. And it got to the point where colleges couldn't recruit enough quarterbacks who had not, you know, been in a shotgun their whole lives and hadn't, you know, thrown the ball, thrown the ball, thrown the ball. And therefore colleges have changed. And now we're finally getting to the point where the NFL is looking around and saying, you know, those are the quarterbacks that are available to us, the Patrick Mahomes and Sam Darnolds and, and uh, you know, Josh Rosen. And so the NFL is being forced to change. But it isn't because the NFL has necessarily been out front and figuring this stuff out. But, you know, they're reacting to the way football, you know, has been going. And that's why uh, Cliff Kingsbury is in, you know, so much, uh, you know, demand at least to talk to people. I think the thing you got to think about is, that may not have been on his, you know, radar screen as far as coming out, and he wanted to come to USC because rightly so. I think he thought I can make the most impact with the players they've got and where they are. I can make the most impact, uh, you know, in my career for the next year or two at USC. But uh, 
you know, I just think uh, it's football is changing to the point where um, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, these, you know, these, these teams who want somebody to work with their young quarterbacks, um, you know, they look around, they say, who better than, you know, than a Cliff Kingsbury, you know, he doesn't have to deal with recruiting issues. He doesn't have to deal with defense. Um, and you find, you know, the way the Rams have done it. And, and you, you know, you get a really good special teams coordinator like they have, and you get a really good, you know, experienced defensive coordinator. And you let, you know, you let your personable, young, smart, you know, innovative uh, uh, coordinator, uh, you know, offensive guru uh, run the offense. And, and it worked with Bill Walsh and all the way back. You know, a lot of, you know, great coaches have been basically the offensive you know, genius behind the, behind the team. I'm not saying that that's, uh, you know, a slam dunk for, for, you know, Cliff to go that direction. But, uh, if you look around guys like Pete Carroll and Nick Saban had some not such great times in the NFL, and it certainly didn't limit them when they came back to college. Uh, it wasn't a, you know, so it wouldn't be necessarily the kind of career damaging move for Cliff, if he went that way, uh, you know, again, if you're USC and we are, uh, you certainly don't want to see that happen, but you know, it certainly wouldn't be the craziest thing that has happened this year. If one of them just got blown away by him in his interview and he's really good, uh, you know, explaining what he does and he comes across really, really well. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't think it's impossible. Uh, that somebody could offer him, and that that would be interesting. What happens then? If that happens, does he come back to USC and say, "Boy, I love college. I've got this offer, though. What are, what are you going to do? And what would USC do at that point?" I, I mean, I to don't me, know. I don't think there's much you can do because that's like people are like, "Well, you got to be loyal or whatever." Like, if you're offered an NFL head coaching job, I think you take it. Like, I don't think there's any. Would you really? Yeah. Although, what if he he's, he's got the offer, but he comes back to USC and says, "I'd really rather be at USC." What does USC do at that point? <laughs> so then you're talking like you want Lin Swan to essentially fire Clay Helton and make Cliff Kingsbury the head coach at that point, or, or do you or do you say, for example, uh, you'll be uh, uh, Clay, you know, will coach out this year with uh, associate head coach in waiting. Cliff Kingsbury and then and Clay has a you know Mark Rick moment uh, after the year and becomes uh, you know associate AD for community relations for the rest of his life. I don't know. What would you do? I don't know. I would think you would have to think about it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure USC would pull something like that off. But th- th- here's the issue: is that we you know we've covered the team. They're five and seven. There's a lot of. USC fans that were upset, canceling season tickets. They didn't like the re- the renovation, the flying the banner. Like there was a lot of negative stuff going on around the program. But the one big positive was this Cliff Kingsbury hire. If that's like, it's like you got, you know, if you you over Christmas, hopefully you get to watch the, uh, the Christmas story uh, on TBS. They do it for twenty four hours, and uh, you know, Ralphie wants his Red Rider. 200 shot carbon action, whatever, you know, the, his, was his BB gun. 
And it's like it like his dad says, Oh, look behind the 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 piano over there, and there's his gun, and he pulls it out. It's like the happiest day of his life. The greatest Christmas present he would ever he had received or would ever receive. That's kind of what Clay Helton and USC fans got with Cliff Kingsbury. But if you it's like take it away before you even open it up and it's just gone. I don't think USC could make a hire anywhere near as you know as, as Dan pointed out, like the, all the good things that Cliff King, Kingsbury could do with an offense. I don't know even if you had an unlimited budget, what kind of hire you could make. Nothing close to what it would be for Kingsbury. I'm just worried about the fan base and like, you know, uh, just our Twitter mentions, everything like uh, the, the message boards. If something like that happens, I, I don't know what the fans are going to do. We've seen this a lot. It's just going to be crazy. Yeah. I don't know where 2019, do you just say, then say, well, we know what's going to happen, but we're going to keep this coaching staff intact and go into two, 2019, even though we're opening the renovated Coliseum and, we're hoping and hoping and hoping and, you know, the schedule starts out pretty tough and all that. I don't know. Do you do that or not? Do you just say, well, we'll kind of give up on 2019 and go back to the gumbo offense? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Cause you got a new president coming on board and who might, you know, have some interest in what's going on in football or what's going on. You know, if there's nobody at the Coliseum, um, if you're the AD, do you want to stick around or do you want to, you know, do you want to take a chance that you didn't do anything when you had the chance and now you stuck? I mean, I just think there's so many questions as to how that could play out and, and, and all that. What, where does, uh, the, the chair, you know, chairman of the board of trustees, Rick Caruso is a, you know, a big hitter in so many ways. Uh, what does he want? You know, what, what, you know, how does that all play out? I mean, I don't think they want to open a brand new, you know, renovated Coliseum and having nobody show up. That would be, that'd be devastating, you know, not just for, you know, football, but the USC brand uh, is, you know, you put $300 million into this and nobody's coming. Um, I think there'd be some hard decisions that would have to be made at USC. I mean, I, I think there are people at USC talking about this in the war room who aren't absolutely convinced that, you know, Clay is absolutely locked in for next year, that so many things could play out that there's nothing absolutely certain for next year. Wow. We shall see. Um, well, okay, so that's the Cliff Kingsbury stuff. There's also some Bubba Bolden stuff. Keely, you want to maybe give an update and Dan will get your thoughts on it? Yeah, so uh, earlier this week, I heard from a source in the Bubba Bolden camp that uh, Bubba had received an email over the course of the holidays that he had essentially been uh, reinstated at USC um, due to a change, a state, a change in state uh, laws. I believe uh, they were going to reopen Bubba Bolden's case, and because of that, he was allowed to re-enroll at USC on January seventh for this upcoming spring semester. Um, now, the source said that Bubba has always loved USC. He's always dreamed about being a Trojan. Um, but right now, as of now, he is verbally committed elsewhere and is currently still in his Juco college. 
Um, I've tried to hear more about that, but the source is kind of mum on that. So we don't really know where Bubba stands currently. Um, but the thing about it is like a lot of people in the P assume that Bubba was already back and whatnot. It's just, he has the possibility to come back and enroll in classes. We don't know the full story about, uh, the program, football program, what they think about that. And this doesn't mean that if they reopen the case, that doesn't mean that it's, it's, going to be in Bubba's favor necessarily. There could be an option where Bubba comes back and the university still rules against Bubba. So it is a risk for Bubba in that sense. Um, but the Bubba camp is happy that they're at least getting progress on that front. Um, but that's all I have for now. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Bubba and USC is, as we found out, while it was going on, which no one knew it was going on, apparently, including the USC coaches, until the day they were told that he'd been suspended for 28 months, <clears throat> the day after they named him as a starter, uh, is how do you, if there's no communication between, uh, you know, the coaches and anybody on the outside and the, you know, tribunal that gave him the 28-month, uh, you know, suspension from USC, I mean, what if they come back in April and say, you know, we're reconsidering the Bubba case. You're only su- re- uh, suspended for 24 months instead of 28 months or whatever, you know. I mean, who knows how you would trust you? I mean, USC's got the worst track record in these kinds of cases in the entire United States. I mean, they, they are the worst school in America. Been sued the most, lost the most, uh, but you don't want exactly to be in a situation where the only recourse you've got is to sue them. Uh, one of the issues might be, though, that if Bubba finishes out the spring semester and it doesn't work out, he can he could still transfer and play somewhere next year, possibly. Uh, whereas, you know, so he's not maybe taking a real risk with his future career if he comes back in the spring uh, and get a chance to practice in the spring. I just don't know how you, I mean, it's so secretive of what's going on at USC that I don't know, you know, and the, and the, the lengths to which you're allowed to be represented by an attorney or you're allowed to question the people that accuse you and all that kind of stuff is, is really, really, uh, you know, just, you can't pin it down. And, and it looks like this is another case of USC trying to head off a lawsuit. I mean, I'm not sure this is anything where they're saying, oh, we, we did a bad thing to Bubba or Bubba deserves, you know, a fair hearing here. I think it's a more of a case of we keep losing these lawsuits. And now they, you know, and they said it was a state law, but I know the federal government has come down with a completely new and different ruling on how these cases are supposed to be handled. And therefore, uh, you know, there, there are all kinds of changes in, in, you know, the legal part of this that, uh, none of which look favorable to the way USC has been doing business. But, uh, uh, you know, is it anything about, you know, I mean, how many people got those letters? We don't know. And, um, USC, I think is just trying to head off lawsuits because of the way they've been dealing, you know, with, with these things. And, uh, I don't, I wouldn't trust USC, uh, in, in, in terms of, of, you know, of, of Bubba's case. I, I mean, it wouldn't because it doesn't look like there's anybody at USC who could guarantee him 
a fair hearing or a fair resolution. Uh, so if you don't have that, as much as you want to be part of USC and come back to USC, how do you do that? I, I, I just don't know. Don't know either. Um, well, we'll see what happens. We'll uh, keep you up to date on what we're hearing on the whole Bubba Bolden thing uh, going forward. Um, well, let's, uh, let's jump into some some questions, Keely. We had uh, some questions, general questions about the team over the, the break, so we'll get into those with Dan. Yeah, we have an interesting one to start off our question segment. Uh, Crystal in Monrovia actually says, uh, watching the Rams versus the 49ers game this weekend, I noticed the huge shadow the scholarship tower casts on the field. I know the Coliseum crew had difficulties with the south sidelines. How are they going to gr- grow grass in the shadows of the tower? I have difficulties growing grass under my one peach tree. Happy New Year. <laughs> Love the podcast. Fight on. Uh, all I know is the guy in charge of the grass at the Coliseum, he will figure out a way. Uh I mean, the thing is, the the problem is during, uh, you know, the prime hours when they're, you know, playing, you know, the games, you do get those shadows. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, you got a lot of hours of, of the day when there's sunlight. Uh, but I think it, it, the, the tower does more to uh, damage the viewing, uh, you know, possibilities uh, because the sun is, you know, so strong in one part of the field and, and you're in shade on the other, it really makes it tough on the TV cameras and all that. I think that makes it, it's not as bad when you're there in person, but it really makes those TV lenses that have to adjust to the bright part of the field and then the, the shadow part of the field. But yeah, that, the tower is going to give it a whole different perspective. And, you know, for the seats that are on alongside of the tower, uh, all of that. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting. Yes, uh, he's got a, uh, as Keely and I know too well, a very dedicated grounds crew, and a uh, you know they work at it. Uh, so we'll see how we'll see how that does. Uh, that's a good question, though. We should probably ask if it if it changes how they have to how they have to do the field with the uh, with the power. I hadn't thought about that. You don't want them to say, "Oh, maybe it would," because then you're like, "Uh oh, <laughs> something that wasn't thought about." Because it yeah, would. Well, no one's ever done that, things, right? Yeah, I mean, the other things, uh, you know, that, you know, like the section, like there's a half a section on either side of the of the tower where you can't see the uh, corner of the end zone at the other end. And uh, I don't know what they're, uh, like on sellout games, are they still going to have a half a section open on, you know, uh, on both sides of the of the tower because you can't see the whole field from there? I don't know. It'll be weird to have, you know, the – Get your blimp flying overhead on a, although I guess just having a sellout crowd would be uh, also a little weird probably at this point. But um, uh, and then to have those half sections with nobody in them uh, because of the of the scholarship tower, uh, it's uh, lots of questions. Like everything else that you, with the USC football right now, way more questions than answers. Dan has a fake rivalry with the ground screw at the Coliseum because every time we tried to set up for instant analysis, they'd, they're they very dedicated to the point where they don't really care about people who are on the field. <laughs> uh, like, you got to get out of their way. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah. and they seem to be always very interested in wherever, whatever plot of ground we happen to be standing on. Mm-hmm. That that's where the mowers have to uh, go at that concerning. very moment. Yeah. They, uh, there's a, 
Now they've got, of course, they've got big earphones on, and they just, but uh, man, oh man, it is. Uh, it's like a hundred percent. If you say uh, wherever we're going to be, they're going to be. <laughs> That's uh, why we uh, we uh, uh, evacuated to high ground during the later instant analysis of the season. Ah, so. uh, gotcha. <laughs> Get inside, off that grass. inside baseball. Uh, we have a question from Tom in the South Bay. He says, "Change of culture? How would that happen?" Clay, instead of replacing John Baxter, gave him more responsibility at the tight end position, and he promoted an assistant to coach the linebackers. This assistant has not coached linebackers for twenty years because he's a special teams coach. How do you expect anything to change as long as Clay's doing what he does best, making bad decisions? By hiring Cliff, he thinks the issues are resolved. But to me, it is a great hire. But is he a one and done? He will not stay at USC. He may not even finish a year as he's in great demand. Your thoughts, please fight on Tom. Tom's always positive. <laughs> yeah. He's positively uh, Tom, upset I mean, at yeah, what's going on. Yeah. The thing with, yeah, with clay is, I mean, with cliff is, uh, you know, he might not make it to the first practice and he might be here as a head coach, uh, you know, and uh, anywhere in between. I mean, you know, it's just like impossible to decide. It looks to me like when they, they talked about USC Lynn and clay, talked about the Notre Dame model, which uh, turned out changing everybody, basically, all the coordinators, uh, you know, changing people in the strength and conditioning and, and, you know, everything you could change, 17 personnel in, in total in the football, uh, on the football staff. Uh, and I mentioned that to Clay, and he got this look on his face of, like, sheer horror. He thought that 17 people, you know, maybe three. Uh, something like that. The USC is going a completely different way. And I don't know if that's because they did not want to go out and hire a bunch of new coaches and, and you would have had to offer them all multiple year contracts. I mean, you weren't going to get people unless you bumped up an analyst or a grad assistant, you weren't getting people to come to USC for one year contracts at this point in time. So, uh, so I'm not sure they had a lot of flexibility uh, in terms of uh, if Clay was going to stay, I don't know that there were much uh, much opportunity to do to do a lot else uh, because I just think that USC was not going to offer multiple year deals. Maybe uh, maybe uh, you know one or two of the brand of the new coaches um, you know got multiple year deals. I'm sure Cliff did, but uh, um, that wasn't going to extend to the whole staff, like where they could have, you know, gotten rid of basically the whole staff and brought in a whole new staff. That wasn't going to happen. So I think it's uh, kind of a, you know, sink or swim for Clay uh, with this year, with the thought being that if uh, it doesn't work out this year, uh, you don't have to pay off a lot of um, multiple-year deals for assistant coaches that, that they'll pretty much have run their course. So... So I'm not sure, you know, that the decision making, I don't know that Clay had as much um, freedom to really go out and, you know, pick a, a whole new you know, staff of assistants. But, yeah, it's hard to say you're changing the culture when you're keeping the defensive coordinator, you're keeping the special teams coordinator, you're keeping the head coach uh, who called the plays, you're keeping uh, – the same people basically running uh, strength and conditioning and, and nutrition. Um, and you haven't made an obvious effort to uh, bump up the staff in the, uh, in the recruiting department. 
doing all those things basically the same way makes it basically impossible to change the culture. Cliff Kingsbury will make a big change as much as he can possibly do. But uh, uh, to say you're going to change the culture when you keep everybody uh, pretty much in, you know, in place, not happening. Yeah. Um, Tom, you know, Tom's a, a glass, glass half empty kind of guy, but I get you. I, I, you know, there's some people that are saying, Oh, well he could leave after a year or he might not stay right away. I think you need to make hires like this. I think it was a good hire. I don't think oh, it was yeah. enough. I don't think it was enough though. I think you yeah. needed to do more. So I, I do agree with that. Um, and what kind of position is USC going to, because you, you only did that. If you do lose him right away, it would have been good if you brought Cliff Kingsbury in, but also made some other big changes. That was the only one. So you're putting all your eggs in that basket. If he does go for an NFL job, now you're back to square one. You certainly haven't done enough to change all those things Lynn Swan talked about uh, at that point. It's a big one. And I think you can win three more games just on Kingsbury, you know, scoring more points. You know, I, I really think you could, but you know, you might not keep him very long. You got to make sure you're putting his system in place and you're going to get someone to replace him. And you basically get rid of the gumbo and you bring in this, however form you could do it. As of now, you need him though, at least a year though, to kind of install everything. If he leaves right away, what are your options out there? And uh, I don't know, but I, it's not, I, I agree with Tom. It's not enough, uh, it, but it's definitely a good step. So anyone that was critical of that, I don't, I don't get that. No, it's a great, it's the best step you could have made uh, in the country uh, of all the choices you could have had, all the things you could have done. I think it's the it's the number one thing that was available to USC uh, in the you know in the entire country. The things that I think needed to be done, and maybe they will get around to them, but it doesn't matter who the coach is next year or the year after or the year after. You need uh, a really competitive uh, strength and conditioning program. You need a really competitive nutrition program, and you read a, need a really competitive uh, recruiting program. All of those changes could have been made without any, you know, it doesn't matter who the head coach is. doesn't matter who the assistants are. If you were in a season where you're saying we, we extended quite, or we, we're going to keep him over a year. We're going to keep most of the assistants over, but we're going to change a bunch of stuff. They could have done that. Now, you know, maybe they'll come back and after six weeks, we haven't heard anything. But maybe they'll come back and say, yeah, we were going to do this all the time, or yes, we are going to do this, or here's how we're changing, you know, uh, the personnel and the hours and, the, uh, you know, the kind of things that we're going to have, you know, for um, uh, nutrition at the Galen Dining Center, or here's what we're doing in the weight. We're going to have, you know, someone dedicated to football uh, and football only, like, you know, the really good programs have, or Here's what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, this is what Clemson does. Clemson doesn't spend as much money in football as USC does, but they do an unbelievable job recruiting. And you go and you say, we're going to do, you know, similar to what Clemson does. And you could do that because it doesn't matter who the coach is next year or the year after. Uh, but those needed to happen. Haven't seen any signs of that yet, but we need to see that. 
keeping along those same lines, we have a question from Nick from Cy- Cyprus, aka Big Nick Twenty One USC from the P. He says, "Question is, why would Clay Helton keep Clancy P? He's a one-trick pony, which the conference has figured out, especially with Clay and Lynn Swan saying we can use the ND model, Notre Dame model, to become great again. Yet we kept him and John Baxter." I just think there's a, you know, a comfort level, familiarity level, uh, you know, a thought that you couldn't go out and hire. I mean, when, when the defensive coordinator at LSU is getting paid more than four or five of the head coaches in the Pac-12, uh, if you wanted to go out on the market and replace the defensive coordinator with somebody, you know, who is one of those kind of, you know, high-profile guys, um, USC didn't have the money to do that. I mean, they weren't going to give, I mean, you know, obviously USC has the money if they want to do stuff like that, but they weren't going to have the money to do it this year, uh, you know, for, for clay, not knowing what's going to happen after 2019 or even, you know, going into 2019. So I just think there wasn't any opportunity really, uh, to do that if I, you know, read things, you know, properly. I mean, and, and I guess there's always a chance that Clancy does decide that, uh, you know, that there's an NFL job out there for him and, you know, they have to, you know, go hire somebody, but, uh, but I don't think they had, you know, Clay had the freedom to just go out and, uh, you know, uh, get rid of their staff and, and go out and come up with a new staff. That just wasn't going to happen. Dustin Perlberg, I believe that's how you say his last name. He says, I know there's some criticism, and it's fair criticism, with keeping Kerry Colbert and Tim Drevno, considering they aren't well-versed in the air raid offense. I could be wrong, but didn't Sark use wider splits on the offensive line when he first got the head coaching job? If so, maybe that's one piece of the puzzle that Drevno has some experience with. Thanks in advance for the memory check, Dustin. Yeah, I'm not convinced that, that their uh, familiarity or not with the air raid is going to be that big of a problem. I think there are some, so many basic fundamental things about football, uh, you know, that carry over from one system to the next. I mean, obviously, you don't want the guy who's, uh, you know, uh, the coordinator, the guy that's installing the game plan to be trying to, you know, figure out what is it that that guy does who really knows how to run this offense. Uh, so, but, I think with a guy like, uh, uh, I, I do think, uh, you know, with Cliff and, and getting the running backs coach, I think just having the way they used the running backs, I thought the fact that they used two, uh, you know, a decent amount of time and the fact that they, you know, Texas Tech was able to run the ball when they had the right guys, you know, back there. I just think, uh, I think having those two, I think gets them, I think gets the job done. Uh, you know, I, I just don't, I don't see that there is like a special way to coach uh, the offensive line in the, you know, in the air raid. Uh, and I don't think that there's necessarily different ways to, uh, uh, you know, run, run your individual stuff that you run, uh, you know, as a wide receivers coach, the idea of having two, two wide receivers, co- an inside receiver coach and an outside receiver coach kind of like that. USC won't have that. That might not have been, you know, a bad way to go. But uh, but otherwise, I think uh, I, I hope this gives you know Kerry uh, a chance to to really you know show what he could do as a coach. I mean, he's got the you know the pedigree. Uh, Pete Carroll always said he was the number one guy of all the players he coached that he thought would be a coach. 
And, you know, he had all the, the years at Alabama, you know, the years in the NFL, then the years at Alabama. Um, so he's got a lot of, a lot of background. Um, just hope that it, it, it can show through this year with this offense is, is, is the way. And I think Drevna is pretty, uh, you know, adjustable. I think he's, he's, uh, I thought he did a, you know, a pretty decent job trying to do what he was doing last year. I think the fact that he did have the running back, uh, you know, coach uh, responsibilities last year probably helps him moving, you know, moving forward and trying to, you know, coordinate the offensive line and the running backs and all that. Um, so I'm not real down on those guys staying, uh, knowing all the issues that USC has. Uh, it's not going to be a perfect world next year. I just think you got to make, you know, Kingsbury work for you. It's got to. And I know Ryan said three wins. I think he could make the case it's it's a five win difference. I mean, here's a guy. You know, they scored almost 40 points a game against basically the same schedule USC played. I mean, a very comparable type of schedule in the Big 12 that USC played. And um, what would USC have been with you know if they scored 40 points a game last year? And USC had better players than 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 Texas Tech. So if they perform anywhere near what his players have done over the years, um, I think it, it changes a lot. I mean, I think USC doesn't need, um, I mean, I, I think they'd have a, they'd have a chance to win, win 10 games last year, last year, and they're going to be better next year. I think, you know, they, they got better athletes. I mean, they've got good athletes who are going to be a year older and, uh, coming back from a year that they all want to forget about. Uh, so, uh, so I, I think, you know, I think he makes a big, 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 big difference. Uh, Kingsbury does. We have a suggestion from Ralph and Folsom. He says, we appreciate how you hold the coaches and administration's feet to the fire. Not sure when you'll have the chance, but can you try ask, asking Coach Helton something like the following? Which, Dan, I think you already have, but we'll see. He says, Coach, hmm. we, we heard from Lynn Swan about the defense, deficiencies in culture, scheme, etc. We are aware of the changes you have made to your staff. However, can you tell us how you personally, not the young men or the staff, are going to alter your approach in order to improve the culture, which some would say is soft, undisciplined, and lacking in physicality? Yeah, I think the physicality part of it, you know, it, it all comes down to practice and seeing it as a quarterback. And I think the other part that Brian Kelly should have gotten a lot of credit for at Notre Dame, he uh, he interviewed every one of his players, and he really the basic part of the interview was, uh, what are we not doing for you? What are we not getting done? What do you need from us to get better? And I know, you know, there was some talk with the players about they weren't being physical enough, they weren't being challenged enough in practice. Uh, but I would like to see Clay go through that exercise of, of sitting down and, you know, taking a, a good bit of time with every every player on this team and, you know, really getting, getting through to them, uh, you know, in terms of having them get through to him uh, in terms of, uh, you know, challenging him to figure out how to get, you know, how to get more physical. I mean, I just thought, you know, for example, if you watch Texas, they went into the Georgia game, you know, here they are playing, a, you know, one of the big tough guys in the SEC, and they went in with the idea, we're going to be more physical in this game than Georgia is. Well, that's, 
you know, that's a lot of credit for, you know, Texas is a team that doesn't have probably as much talent on the field as USC did, but they played hard and they got better and they didn't, you know, they didn't, you know, give up on, on anything. And, uh, I mean, I just thought that, 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 you know, the teams that said that they were going to be more physical and work at it and believe in it are getting better. Those are the teams that are, you know, still around. And, uh, USC has to figure out how to do that. As that's the, you know, the one criticism. It's just that uh, they don't they don't get it done in practice. I watch the, the long, they do the long inter, uh, preview pregame stuff in, in the playoffs. So they were like last year. We had been down at the Cotton Bowl and we watched Ohio State and they thought, uh oh, just watching pregame warmups. Ohio State was working harder in pregame warmups than USC ever did during any single practice. And watching Clemson work out before the game last week, and you're watching them having their uh, wide receivers and defense or and offensive backs running down the field and throwing blocks, uh, you know, throwing their bodies on the ground, rolling as if, you know, they were, you know, blocking downfield. And, you know, and, and just thought, Wow, that's something you never see USC do. That you know, they basically USC's practices mostly have guys standing around. Uh, they're standing, I mean, uh, not just standing around, but they're standing a lot. They don't. They're not down on the ground. They're not playing football where it often is played at the you know at the goal line and short yardage situation. And you can't do that if you're always in shorts, or you're mostly in shorts. Uh, but that's not how football is played, and they've got to figure out. That was the genius of Pete Carroll, is that practices were very comparable and sometimes more competitive and more game-like than games. And uh, if there's a, you know, if this coaching staff hasn't figured something out, it's how how do you make practice as close to games as possible? If you're practicing differently than you, you know, than you have to play in a game then that practice isn't doing you that much good. So uh, yeah, that's got to happen. And, and it's hard sometimes when you talk to Clay about it, it's like you talk past one another. It's like there's not a, like a meeting of the minds in terms of what exactly you're talking about and what exactly, you know, Clay is talking about. And it's just that the reality sometimes that we see is not necessarily the reality that Clay sees. And that's, I think that's where, where some things really have to happen in this off season is, you know, a, a kind of a, a different reality, uh, you know, for the USC coaches in terms of, uh, you know, what happened in, in 2018. And I, I don't know if, uh, if they get there or not, but, uh, but that's the discussion that has to be, ha- you know, had. And to your credit, Dan, I feel like you asked Clay a similar question to what Ralph suggested uh, during the early signing day uh, presser. And and like you said, it seemed like it was just a different page for Clay Helton. I got the, the feeling that he still tried to make last year's season an isolated incident. As we mentioned earlier, he apologized for losing close games. And, and in reality, it, it was a symptom of the whole season. It wasn't just, oh, tough losses. It was fundamental errors that happen throughout the season so it's interesting we can't always get a good answer out of clay even if we ask the tough questions but yeah he i'm not sure he he 
doesn't see it the way we see it. And I know it's like, well, you know, here's a guy getting paid, what, $2.8 million a year and, you know, been coaching for 24 years in college and, and all that. But that's just, that's the way it is. I mean, we see what we see and, um, you know, uh, I mean, and I think the results probably point in our direction in terms of what we see and how we respond. I mean, you know, you just aren't seeing teams that are prepared for the physicality that they're going to, you know, face and the physicality that they have to play with, um, uh, and the confidence that that develops. If you, you know, if you know you're going to be, I mean, that's one of the things I thought with Texas, that they were very confident that they could slug it out with Georgia and that they could win that battle. That's pretty, you know, giving them a lot of credit because they, they really believed in themselves. I don't think USC has that, that belief at all that we're going to line up with somebody who's pretty darn good and we're going to be able to, you know, beat them at their own game and we're going to out-physical them. I don't think there's that, that sense whatsoever. And that has to, that has to come back. I mean, when, when Pete was here, at least, you know, certainly during the, you know, the golden age and all that, nobody that played USC thought they were going to out hit USC. Nobody who played USC thought they were going to out physical USC. And they were right. They weren't, um, you know, USC might've lost some games and they screwed up, you know, here, there, wherever they didn't get at anybody got, you know, beat them, uh, physically, uh, and, uh, that's not the case now. USC, I think, has to go back to being what made USC football great since the 20s. We were physical, where they were fast and physical and, and aggressive. And uh, I don't think we see uh, anywhere near enough of that, uh, you know, approach. Uh, and when you're in the Pac-12, if you're not the most physical team, you're not doing something right if you're at USC. I mean, when you get manhandled by UCLA, for example, um, you've really done something wrong and you're, you're, you've got to take a look at that and say, what do we have to change? That can't happen again. And, uh, uh, I think the UCLA game of all the, as bad as the cow game was, what happened in the UCLA game just is, uh, you know, just impossible to comprehend that that UCLA team out physical USC the way they did just, and they believed they could. What, what does that tell you that UCLA goes into that game thinking they can slug it out with USC and that they can win? And they did. Uh, uh, can't do that. No, definitely <laughs> cannot. Uh, Scotty and HB wants to know, did you Dan ever c- cover the Kentucky air raid teams of Hal mummy and Mike Leach? It would be interesting to contrast those teams to what Kingsbury does. Also, if you haven't read the perfect pass by SC Gwynn, it's a fun book for even casual football fans. It covers the evolution of the forward pass and development of air raid under Hal mummy. Super easy to read and engrossing. Thanks for all you do. And the team, uh, happy new year. Yeah, I was just leaving. I was just moving, moving on when he got there. Uh, I did cover. I I, I got to uh, know uh, Tim Couch, who was the the high school quarterback that uh, uh, from down in Eastern Kentucky, who people thought was better than Peyton Manning. And I always thought, you know, he. I went to a high school practice, and I think it, I'm trying to remember. I think he completed like a hundred and. 97 out of 200 passes. I mean, counting everything, warm-ups. Uh, but he had an unbelievable arm, and he played in the uh, in Hal Mummy's Air Raid. Uh, 
and they had so many quick short passes. I swear he he injured his arm. He was the number one draft pick by the you know the Browns, and he had a an okay career. They had no offensive line to protect him, but how money did things so differently? It was almost impossible to even figure out. Um, uh, is this good? Is this bad? I mean, it, it, Kentucky, you know, came back under him a, a little bit. They were really different in the SEC. They didn't know what to make of, of Kentucky. They didn't have as many, you know, players and and, and athletes as everybody else. But uh, they did some crazy things. But there were other things going on with Hal Mummy off the field in terms and and just with the program and all that 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 maybe you didn't pay as much attention to, you know, the way they were, you know, running the, the air raid and, and Mike Leach was an assistant down there. It was, uh, I don't think we knew at the time that it was going to change college football the way it did. And it did. Uh, I just don't think, you know, who, who would, who would think that one of the things that's, you know, most changed college football started at Kentucky under how mummy, I mean, people, yeah, you're right. That, that's, uh, and, and Mike Leach was right there and, and, and all that. I don't think anybody at Kentucky realized that's what was happening. Uh, but other people did, I guess, uh, eventually. Uh, but, uh, it was, uh, it was very unusual to watch how they, how they did things. Uh, and it was so different. You just almost couldn't get a handle on it. Uh, but now everybody kind of does it in high school. So, but um, it was really different then. We have a bit of a longer question from Stephen Poway. So, so hang tight, Dan. He says, looking back on the 2018 football season, there's no doubt that poor coaching played a role in the losing season. And that seems to be the prevailing narrative of the season. However, what role do you believe youth and inexperience played to, into the losses? As far as youth goes, according to the scholarship distribution chart on the uscfootball.com site, there were 12 seniors, 17 juniors, including three punters, two redshirts, and one guy I have never heard of, Jake Russell, which, sidebar, Jake Russell is a walk-on wide receiver who actually blocked a punt yep. in the UCLA game, uh, 22 sophomores, 34 freshmen, and he says, as far as inexperience, we all know that the team had to replace the top three offensive playmakers from 2017, including Sam Darnold, replacing him with a young man who really should have been finishing up his final year in high school. If we had either more... Uh, if we had either more seniority or experience or both, how many of the last four losses, which we lost by a total of only 18 points, do you think would have gone the other way? Thank you, Steve in Poway. Steve, I'm not sure. I think, you know, at the end of the year against this schedule with a young team, that's when you, that's when having a young team really helps because by that time you're, you're ready to play. I mean, they should not have tailed off the way they did. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think there's any excuse for that. I think if you look at college football today. You look at Clemson. You look at Alabama. They make. You know, they they're playing young guys. You know, they're 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 the kind of talent. Uh, you know, the top teams have available. You have to play young guys. So I think that's mostly a cop out. I think that's a a cop out by the coaches and coaches in general, not getting guys up to speed. I mean. Taladoa Hafanga and, you know, uh, Palie, Nyao Teote and all those guys that were true freshmen who needed to be on the field as much as possible. And, you know, if, if you can't teach them the defense, find a defense you can teach them if, you know, if you're, if you're best tacklers. I mean, 
the fact that their two best tacklers, uh, if you don't count Cam Smith, uh, were true freshmen, you know, you can't teach necessarily the kind of tackling ability those guys had. You just got to get it organized to the point where, where they can contribute. And um, by the time you're into those last four games, those guys ought to be ready to play. They shouldn't be tailing off. You shouldn't be scoring 14 points against Cal or, you know, whatever the, you, you know, the UCLA game turned out the way, you know, they just didn't have, you know, what it, what it took to, to get it finished. Uh, those were, you know, that's not acceptable. So uh, I think it's a factor, the use, but I think more of a factor was the inability to, uh, you know, make use of the, the talents that, that those guys had. And, and one of the difficult things was Sam Darnold. He started playing and started his, showing you his talent when the play broke down. So Sam wasn't as influenced by uh, an offense that nobody seemed to know what they were doing because he would turn that into an advantage because he would beat the first pass rusher. They'd be playing 11 on 10. He had Deontay Burnett who could find an open spot. The guys had played together enough and they, they made that work. Uh, you had uh, a home run hitter in the backfield who, if somebody made a mistake on defense, he could take it all the way. This year you didn't have that. So you had to, you had to drive the ball. You had to, you know, not commit penalties. You had to not stop yourself. Uh, all the things that, that go with coaching and, and coaching them up and, uh, you know, that's where they were missing. You know, you needed, you know, if you've got um, uh, JT Daniels, you really need an offense to go with him. You need, a, you know, an offensive line that could give him some time and you needed to really know what you were doing. And that, that wasn't happening. So I think the use was only a, a, a small part of USC still had better players than, you know, four or five of the teams they lost to, you know, and you can say they were young, but everybody's got young players um, the way college football is now. And the better teams almost, I mean, I, I would say like a Fresno state was really heavily fourth and fifth year guys. And that's what you're going to get with a program like Fresno State where you're going to have a chance to develop them because you don't have the stars. You don't have the guys going off to the NFL. But when you get, you know, programs like, uh, you know, USC, and, you know, I hate to even mention them right now with Alabama and Clemson, those, guys, those programs are going to have guys that pretty much have to play right away because of their talent. And you've got to be able to coach them up right away. And then you've got to get them better as the season goes on. You cannot have them – uh, do what they did this year. So, so I'm not I'm not a big uh, proponent of the fact that oh, it was uh, inexperience that cost USC this year. Jim B says John Jackson the third. Do you think that he will ever get on the field, or was that just a wasted scholarship? Man, they've got they've got so many guys. You could ask that question about a lot of uh, wide receivers. You know, will they ever get on the field? Josh the modern baby. You know, you look at him and you remember, you know, his 44-inch vertical and at Nike camp, and you remember, you know, and you look at him and, and all the things, and you just, is he going to, you know, get on the field? And he's not the only one to single out. You could, you know, there are a lot of guys you can, you know, wonder, uh, are they going to get on the field? Um, so it's uh, a good question. I don't know. I think he's pretty good, uh, but um, you know, do. 
watching Clemson, and, and for example, he reminds me a little bit of Amari Rogers, who's not a breakaway speed guy, strong guy, tough guy, and they get him open enough that he can make catches. Uh, if you're at USC with that same skill set, will they get you open enough? Uh, you know, I don't. We didn't see it last year. We saw a lot of guys having to make a lot of really good plays. And a lot of times the ball has to be thrown into coverage. Um, uh, so, so we'll see. I think, I think the offense is going to change enough that you're going to see wide receivers maybe you haven't seen um, making plays that, that maybe will surprise you. But I think it's, it's got to be a good thing for the wide receivers. Did we ever nail down what his – uh, scholarship status was because he wasn't actually practicing with the team during no. the fall. I think he was gray-shirting. I don't know. Was he, I think he's gray-shirt. I don't know that he was even in school, was he? I think No, I think he, he was, was going to school? a community college because a gray-shirt right. is when you wait an extra semester before you are actually on the team. Yeah. Right. He'll be on next year's recruiting class. So, yeah. He, so he, he, he gets his scholarship starting the second semester. And I don't know if anything's changed. I mean, if if you hadn't heard, you know, John Jackson, his dad, the second, um, he unfortunately suffered a, a stroke. He's still in the hospital now. He's been in the hospital, I think, for five or six weeks. Uh, we posted on the message board. There was a, a play. They, they weren't. They were trying to keep everything very private. Um, but they there was a PO box you can send, like gift cards or anything to, or, or well wishes cards, things like that. So. Um, yeah, we, you know, we wish him a speedy recovery. I've, I've been getting updates every you know, once a week or so. It seems like he's doing better. You know, he was not awake for quite a while and, uh, doing, you know, doing a lot better now. So, um, I'm not saying that would have any sort of impact on, you know, what his son was going to do, but his, their, the family's going through that right now. So maybe, I don't know if that changes anything, but just to, for people to be aware and, you know, certainly hoping speedy recovery for, for John Jackson, who, if you don't, he was, you know, Covered USC for a long time, covered high school football and stuff. So we, we've seen him around quite a bit. Yeah, really good guy. And amazing because he would, you know, he did, does all the high school games. And, you know, every week he's out there, you know, with uh, those high school, you know, top high school prospects and he's running patterns or playing pass defense or whatever. And, and to have, you know, him get, you know, taken down by, by a stroke like that, at, you know, at his age is, is really, you know, kind of shocking, I think makes it really hard probably, you know, for them to handle, you know, the family. I mean, it just, you just don't expect that, you know, uh, but uh, nothing but, our, you know, prayers and best wishes and, and really good guy and, uh, you know, great Trojan and uh, would love to see him, you know, get back and, uh, you know, be able to do everything that he's been doing because uh, he's a real asset, um, you know, to, to USC. There's no question about it. Yeah second that um we have a one final question and it's a basketball question so maybe ryan you should cover your ears i will uh, <laughs> earl in west la says what is the backstory behind the suspension and transfer of jordan usher oh that i and I, you know i don't we just heard maybe something in practice that that just you know because he played the, the game before and then all of a sudden he was gone and that, that something happened at practice is is all that I've heard and that, uh, you know, it just, boom, he, he certainly didn't leave saying any really bad things or anything. Uh, but it, it sure sounded like when they just decided whatever happened 
couldn't continue. Uh, so I, you know, that's all I got for you. I, I just, I don't know anything else other than something that happened at practice. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, it's funny. We, uh, we talk about hoops sometimes and Shotgun's like, Oh, they're going to be really good. They're going to be really good. I'm like, I don't think they're going to be really good. And, and they're not really good. They're not going to make the tournament. I'm like, eh, you know, call like the, USC basketball wins like the off season. They get great recruiting classes and all these things are looking positive, but for whatever reason, they're just not able to put it together. So we'll see. Maybe they'll make some. I will say the next year and the year after the guys that are lined up, uh, if they screw that, you know, next year's class up, um, then you really know basketball just isn't in the cards for USC. But, uh, that that class they got coming in next year, and then uh, you know the year after. Uh, I mean, number. I mean, they're number one, you know, class in the in the country coming in, which is just kind of hard to believe. Although you know, this Kevin Porter, uh, the guard freshman guard out of Washington, Rainier Beach, uh, you know, was the kind of kid that had such a great summer that people were projecting him as a top ten, uh, you know, NBA draft pick after a year, and. Has he played three minutes this year for USC? He got hurt, hurt, you know, a, a thigh contusion, and and hasn't basically seen the floor. So you just never know. Crazy. All right. Well, that's enough basketball talk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we don't. Yeah, we don't want to do that if we don't have to. Uh, okay. So let's. Uh, I guess we'll wrap things up here. Got through all the questions. We got through them all. Thanks. Yeah. Can't throw me right. of us this time, Ryan. Keely. Yeah. Keely, you know, good job, Keely. You did. Thanks. Uh, I don't think she job. read everyone's name or anything, but uh. I did. I made sure. Some I did twice. So nobody write any emails. <laughs> We're just teasing with you, Keely. All right. Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed our little show here and uh, enjoy the brand new year, 2019. It's uh, going to be a good one. I think I feel good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm doing a juice cleanse though, so I'm not feeling great. Kind of odd. I'm very hungry to start this new year, but we'll see. Hopefully, I'll make through it for three days. I made it half a day, so we'll see if I can go Does a little further. Three day right. juice cleanse do anything? Makes you hungry. I don't know. Like, <laughs> okay, we'll see. I've done, they've I've seen ones that are like five days and three days, but whatever. But I did one a couple of years ago. Actually, you lose, I think I lost like eight pounds yeah, or remember. something. Yeah. 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 Interesting. But then I ate like a whole yeah. bunch of donuts the next day. Yeah, yeah that doesn't really there. work well. I, I mean, I lost eight pounds, but then I like to eat. So I just did that. And you after. gained it all back? Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that's Dan Weber. That's Keely Yor. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. 
Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 